Hi church, my name is Kelsey Iverson. I'm the youth ministry coordinator here on campus and I'm so glad that you have chosen to join us for our online service. Before we continue with our service, I just wanna share with you a few announcements. The first one is Life's Healing Choices. Life's Healing Choices is an eight week DVD series that's gonna be starting here on campus this Monday, which is tomorrow, March 27th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This is a tool that you can use to just give you freedoms from life's hurts habits and hang-ups. If you're interested in signing up, you can head to our website, abcchurch.org, to sign up. You can also head to the Connect booth if you're here on a Sunday to sign up and just get any more information. Next up is VBS. Somehow, VBS and summer are just right around the corner again, and registration is open. You can also head to our website, the Kids Ministry page of our website, to sign your kids up for VBS. Next up is Slow Serve. Slow Serve is our annual youth service project that we have for middle school and high school students. It's from April 13th to 16th. We're gonna go camping out at Santa Margarita Lake and then during the day, we are gonna serve our local community. We get to partner with different nonprofit organizations, different schools, and different families in our community and give back to them through service. It's one of our favorite things that the youth department does here and we are so excited. So if you're a student or or you know of a student that might be interested, would you sign up? You can sign up on the youth page of our website. We would love to have you join us. And with that, if you head to the youth page of our website, you'll also see a spot for tool donations. We are looking to borrow some tools from anybody that is willing to let us. So if you have any tools, could you just fill out that form on our website and let us know what you have that we could borrow? We would be so grateful. The last announcement that I have for you today is Easter. Our Good Friday service is gonna be Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m. here on campus at ABC. And then a few days later is gonna be our Easter Sunday service. It's gonna be at 10 a.m. on the Tascadero High School football stadium. And you are invited. We would love to see you there. Invite your friends, invite your family, your coworkers, anyone that you can think of. We would love to fill that stadium and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and what that means in our lives today, so many years later. We can't wait to see you. We have invite cards. If you find yourself here on a Sunday before Easter, you can grab invite cards in the worship center. And then throughout the week, we'll also have invite cards available in the church office for you to grab so that you can invite your friends and we will see you there. That's all I have for you. So I hope you're doing well and I hope that you have a great rest of your week. Well, good morning, ABC Church. My name is Josh McEwen, and if I haven't met you yet, I am part of our youth department. I'm actually one of our youth pastors. And let me start by telling you, the youth world is just crazy right now. We're right in the middle of something called March Madness, which the heart of that is to boost and increase attendance through high-intensity recreation games where kids are essentially like competing it out to get scores and high points to go all the way to Santa Cruz Boardwalk. Uh, but that's way less of the intention. The biggest intention of doing March Madness is to be able to give kids that haven't heard it before a chance to know the gospel through student testimonies and a gospel call at the end. So continue to be praying for that because we are right in the tail end of that March Madness event. But as soon as we finish that, the gears are moving and they're swaying straight towards something called Slow Serve. Where we go around the community, we love on different people that uh, maybe can't necessarily do the labor on their own. So we bring about 80 kids to be jumping and doing that. And then as soon as that's over, it goes straight to Hume and then Dominican Republic and then Awake. It just doesn't stop. 
stop. And so kind of like in the crossover of coming to hang out with you guys on Sundays, it's very easy to just take a little bit of our youth world and bring it to the adult world. And just kind of in thinking of it and trying to like figure it out, I felt like the best way to like transfer over some youth world into the adult world is simply a stage game. Now, I know we're on like the video format of things, so maybe we gotta like have to adjust this, uh, but I'll tell you the rules. They're very simple. In just a second, I'm gonna go ahead and play a video, and the rules for that video is to count how many times the white team passes the basketball. Now, just a preface, this video is like made in the 90s, so for me, when I'm watching it, kinda feels like a homemade video, like it's super pixelated. I don't know, maybe you'll dig it, I don't know. Uh, but that video, uh, you'll see a couple teams passing a ball, focus on the white team and how many times they pass it. Now, here's the best part, there is a prize. The prize is total, absolute, guilt-free bragging rights on your car ride home, or for you guys watching the video, doing the dishes, like whatever it is, uh, you get a prize. It's just absolute bragging rights. So here we go. Let's watch that video right now. Again, just that simple rule. Make sure you count how many times the white team passes the ball. So we'll get it playing right now. So I hope you guys got your numbers because the total number of basketballs that were passed between the white team was 15. Now, as you were watching this, maybe some of you guys have seen this video before, but if you haven't, uh, there's a good chance that while you were counting those basketballs, you miss the giant gorilla that walked across the screen. And yes, I mean, there was a giant gorilla that literally walked across the screen. You can see it, I'm not lying, we'll play it back like as I'm talking. like. Here's the gorilla walking across the screen. He does a little shimmy and then he walks off the screen. You probably missed that because you were so focused on counting the basketballs go back and forth. So there you have it. There was our youth game of the Sunday morning, but this actually goes back to a psychological term called selective attention. It's the process that allows an individual to select and focus on particular input and focus on processing while simultaneously suppressing the irrelevant or distracting information. Basically, you choose what you focus on. And this is like shows up a plethora of different ways in life. Like you could be driving, listening to a podcast, all while like maintaining lane changes, still retaining the information or getting off at the off ramp you need. It could take place at a restaurant when you're having a conversation, the next thing you know, the ball game's up and then your selective focus is now on the basketball game instead of the people around you. Like that's a bad example. We don't want that one. Uh, but selective attention takes place in tons of different ways. I know for me, it takes place anytime I watch a good detective movie, just like your basic Sherlock Holmes plot line. Like you get so in just enthralled in the plot, trying to figure out who it is and like the wittiness of Robert Downey Jr. as he's playing Sherlock, you end up missing these like important clues that tell the grand truth of who actually done it. And so that's kind of selective attention. And what we actually see throughout the last bit of chapter 12 is this is exactly what the Pharisees are struggling with when it comes to their attention towards themselves or their attention in Jesus. And this is actually where we're gonna spend the majority of the, mocus, uh, the majority of the morning focusing on is the story of two hearts. It's gonna be the story of Jesus's heart and our own heart. And through the discourse of the Pharisees' interaction with Jesus, we'll uncover the story of those two hearts. But let's start off with the story of the heart of Jesus. 
A few weeks ago, Jake Ellis talked specifically about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, we see Jesus quote an Old Testament passage of God's heart towards sacrifice. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Right away, you're seeing not just the, um, the heart of Jesus and his desire for mercy, but you're seeing the authority of Jesus. That's where G- uh, Jake Ellis talked about Jesus either being a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And it's in the lordship of Jesus, the authority he has, that he reveals his heart for mercy. And we immediately see the heart of Jesus at the beginning of that chapter. Later on, Jesus casts out a demon, and in chapter 12, verses 24, the Pharisees get fed up with it. And this is their response in chapter 12, verse 24. They say, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, right away, you're getting the like charge of the Pharisees uh, and they're kind of like, in that same way, the watchers of a detective fic- fiction, or the same way that us as an audience were trying to count that basketball get past, where we're so focused on one detail, we end up missing the greater scene of what's actually taking place. In this case, they're observing the Sabbath, maintaining power or religious piety, so much so that they're missing the heart of Jesus. And so Jesus continues this discourse against the Pharisees and with the Pharisees by saying this in verse 33. Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let's focus in on that first part where Jesus says a tree is recognized by its fruit. When it comes to like analogies that Jesus is using, that's like one of the easier ones and most clearest. It's like, you know a tree by its fruit. If it's producing good fruit, it's a good tree. Bad fruit, bad tree. I've heard it say, like my grandma used to say it, is like what comes out of the well is in the well. Uh, But we see Matthew is like tying this whole passage into what's happening beforehand. It's a controversy of whether or not Jesus was in league with the devil. And so in this inclusion to this story, this point and this far forward, just like we saw Jeff talk about last week is you can't just read a verse by itself. You have to read a verse in context because context determines meaning. And it's in the inclusion of Matthew all the way so far that we see what Jesus is really getting at. And he's giving the Pharisees essentially like a question. He's giving them a gracious identification of where their heart is at. He's calling them out. He's saying he's calling them out for their selective attention. And in doing so, he's asking that question. He's saying, am I, I'm either good all the way through or I'm either bad all the way through. In other words, he's giving them the choice. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've said. And is what I've done from the devil or is what I've done from God? Now, notice what Jesus has said all the way through up until this point. He calls them a brood of vipers. Let's read it again. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, I'm not, like when it comes to comebacks and insults, I feel like I'm not usually the best. I don't know if it's because I'm not witty enough or maybe just not mean enough. Like it kind of just goes both ways. I, I don't know which one I'm not. But I feel like when it comes to my arsenal of comebacks or insults, a brood of viper, calling someone a kid of a viper just really doesn't like catch it for me. 
But when we have to take a look into like what the first century Pharisees would be thinking, for them, they would understand the analogy to call someone a serpent is equivalent to calling them the same serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. And so when Jesus says like you brood of vipers, he's calling them children of the devil. Now for the first century Pharisee that's hearing that for the first time, that is a perfect insult for the perfect time. And it lands perfectly to right hap- what, exactly what happens right before in chapter 12 when the Pharisees are like, hey, Jesus just healed this guy. He did it from the power of Satan. So yeah, Jesus, you're the devil. And what Jesus is saying in the brood of viper passage, he's saying, no, I'm not the devil. You are of the devils. And so going forward, we basically are, are catching the glimpse and we're seeing where the Pharisees' attention is really at. The attention of the Pharisees is selective. It's on their religious piety. It's on their religious upholding of their laws. And they're actually missing the heart of Jesus. And this kind of gets to one of our main points is when our heart, when our, sorry, when our attention is on the heart of Jesus, we experience the healing of our own hearts as well. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are missing. Their, heart, their attention is not on the heart of Jesus. And in so, in turn, they're missing the healing of their own heart. And that's where we can actually kind of segue into what does Jesus have to say about our hearts? And so to see that, we have to go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 to 37 and kind of end with that conclusion. So 35 says this, good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Now that word stored, if you actually like go to the translation of it, it's not just stored up, but it could also be in reference to a vault or a treasury. I like to think of it like when you're walking through someone's garage and like you see all their different stuff, you kind of ask questions like how many toys do they have? Is they got tools off hanging off to the side? Is it organized? Is it a chaotic mess? And like, I don't know, it might be an American proverb, but it's like you can judge a man by his shed. Like you know a lot about a man based off of what's in his shed or his garage. It tells you what he has and what he's doing and what he has. And that's essentially what Jesus is getting at with what is stored up in our hearts. And this is where that judgment or also a gracious warning comes in in the last verse, 36 and 37, when Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, justified and condemned, justified can translate over to commended. And that's kind of the like, question that Jesus leaves the Pharisees with is, by your words, do you want to be commended or do you want to be condemned? And it's wild because what Jesus is doing here is he's saying our speech reflects what's going on in our hearts. And I think Jesus cares a ton about our speech because, like we said, it reflects our hearts. But it's also, if you're to think about the autobiography of your life, some of the most affirming words you've ever heard are probably words spoken by someone, not just read or not just like seen on a like cute little Insta post, but specifically spoken by someone over you. But even beyond that, in the continuation of an autobiography of your life, some of the most destructive, wounding words you've ever heard were words that were spoken, things that we can like think back to. And that's because language, the purpose of language is relational. And it has the ability to either be the like, greatest like building up of relationship or the greatest destruction of relationship. And that's because Jesus nails it right on the head when he says our speech is reflecting of what is going on in our hearts. And like you can actually like play this out 
and like the fullness of scripture just by taking a look at more of what Matt or what what Matthew writes about Jesus uh, specifically in chapter five. Like take a look with me in Matthew chapter five, verse 22 to see how Jesus has that interlocking relationship between our hearts and our word. In uh, Matthew chapter five, verse 22, Jesus says, if anyone is angry with his brother or sister, they'll be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Notice that the word anger reflects the heart, and then the outward expression of calling someone rocker or calling someone a fool is the speech that comes from the heart. Jesus is just, again, in Matthew 5, showing us the interlocking relationship between our heart and our words. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is in relationship to uh, oaths or over-speaking or over-promising out of fear or out of fear of people. And Jesus, again, is just making that reference of out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 6, verses, uh, or chapter 6, just simply verse 7, says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. In other words, out of religious piety or religious upheaval or, or upkeep, um, there's a tendency just to like make yourself sound better than what you really are. In the case of these Pharisees, it's from comparison, envy, or statement of, or st- statement of judgment against others. Continuing into Matthew 7, verse 4, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Again, the language here is, how can you say to your brother? That say is a reflection of what's going on in your heart of judgment, envy, and comparison. And Jesus, again, is making that connection from our heart to our speech. And lastly, if we kind of jump even into Romans and what Paul says, and just in like comparison of our heart to our speech and light of salvation in this case, in Romans 10, chapter 9 through 10, Paul says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Just take that verse, for example, and look at the interlocking relationship between the heart and the mouth. Out of the heart we believe, but from the mouth we confess. Again, what is stored up inside of us comes out in our speech. And in this case, Jesus or Paul is making the very, um, very important connection between, man, us believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord, but then confessing with our mouth. And like, I've heard it said, and this is just uh, an amazing example of someone in our congregation once said this, is essentially like when Jesus says, you're either commended for our speech or we're condemned by our speech. Like he's saying like on the judgment seat, like when we approach the throne of God, like essentially like what would it look like for Jesus to just play back our speech throughout our entire life? Almost as if you had like the voice memo app that was counting every or literally every word you've ever said. And for Jesus to like, as you walk up to the judgment seat, to be playing that record again and again, he wouldn't even have to say anything. He would simply just have to be like, hey, here's your speech for your entire life. And that begs the question is, does that speech reflect the heart of Jesus or does it reflect a heart of sin and brokenness? I know for me, like if I were to like simply walk up and just have that voice memo over my entire life, I would sit there knowing I'm I'm condemned. I would sit there knowing I, I need to be redeemed, that I, I messed up a lot of how I spoke because my heart 
was being shown through my words. And when you come to that place, when we come to that place of recognition that our speech is actually reflecting the brokenness of our heart, we, we have to do something with that. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at and, and what Matthew writes about in chapter 12 is that we have to have our attention on the heart of Jesus in order to experience the healing of our hearts. Again, I'll say that again so it can sink in, is when our attention is on the heart of Jesus, we experience the healing of our hearts. And then we come to that place where we recognize, man, like, man, I, I don't have a clean heart. I, I don't have a heart that reflects the heart of Jesus. We, we have to have what that big fancy word in Christianity is, is repentance, to literally turn around, to have a heart shift. I love what Ezekiel says in chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's redemption right there in, in a sentence to say, hey, I have a broken heart. I have a broken uh, sin nature in my heart and I need a new one. I can't help but, but think about an example. In the last few months, uh, Annie and I, my wife, uh, we're renters in Atascadero. We, uh, in February, uh, our lease was coming to an end. And just being a renter in Atascadero, it's wild trying to find housing here. Luckily we did, but literally like such a God thing. Like the last two days of our lease coming to an end, we had like just found a house. And so I remember having the conversations with our landlord, just being like, yeah, we're, we're finding, we're doing everything we can to try and find a place, but we'll promise we'll be out, you know? And, and it literally like at the like sweeping, like finish line, like we came in and we were able to find a new place. But like leading up to that, I mean, if, for those of you guys that have moved before, you know the stress of putting everything in boxes, like doing the runs between the old house and the new house. As we were, as we were doing that, Every single time we'd like carry a box out of the house, we'd walk by our shed. And every single time we walk by the shed, we'd be like, oh, we'll get to the shed. We'll, we'll get to it eventually uh, because we know the shed is just a collection of just random assortment of stuff. Like if you were to go into that shed before we moved, it's like just adventure stuff. It's tools that are mismatched. You got like a Milwaukee and a DeWalt like next to each other. Like a contractor would look at me and be like, this guy's a joke. Like it's just all over the place. And like third grade papers, like teddy bears from like when we were kids, like just random stuff that just got assorted into the shed. So of course we're leaving it for the last thing. But I'll never forget, like, when we came to the, like, everything was out of the house, it was finally time. I was like, oh, gosh, we have to, like, pull out the shed. we got to get this stuff out of the shed. And I remember opening up the shed, and that's where the conversations took place between my wife and I. And we were constantly like, man, do we keep this? Do we get rid of this? Some things we want to hang on to. We're like, why do we need to hang on to this third grade paper? Like, let's get rid of it. And eventually we were able to, what I called, have the great purge of the shed. And in that same way, in that same, uh, same heart, I think that's what Jesus is asking over our hearts is can we have our hearts purged? Can we allow Jesus to create a new heart in us and remove the heart of stone? Because as we look back over our speech, as we look back, and like I said earlier, the autobiography of our life, do our words condemn us or do our words commend us? Do they reflect the heart of Jesus? And I think it's our job. Actually, I don't think it's, I don't think, I know from the truth of scripture it's our job as Christians to take on Jesus' inner nature and manifest that outwardly in all we do. And in the case of Matthew chapter 12, this includes our speech. And so that's what we see in Matthew 12. And just kind of to end it on a few main points is Matthew 12 shows us is we have to manifest Jesus' heart in our speech. 
But if we go throughout just like the plethora of scripture, we see that there's more ways our speech can manifest Jesus's heart. One way is to simply tell truth and not lies. I know there's a tendency, like all of us know, like, okay, obviously don't lie, like be truthful, but there's a tendency in our heart to have white lies. A tendency where we can be like, oh, out of a fear of another person or a fear of a conflict or fear of, um, of strife or animosity, we end up telling a white lie to make ourselves either look better or to avoid conflict. And Jesus is a remi- reminding us in Matthew 5 to tell the truth and not a lie. But another one is, is to build people up and not tear them down. We see that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. I think for me, I can get that in a category of, like, categorizing an entire people group. Like, yes, that, like, involves uh, interaction between a spouse, a child, or, or others, but specifically in a category of a people group, it's so easy to be like, oh, that person, because everyone else says that mean thing about that person, it's easier to tear that person down when they're further away and proximity isn't close. I've heard older generations tear down Gen Z and be able to be like, oh, Gen Z has nothing like to work for, or Gen Z is just gonna like fall short of any other generation that exists. It's a constant teardown of the uh, following generations rather than believing them and building them up. And so I think that's a challenge uh, of us as, as Christians is like, are we building people up? Are we building the next generation up, not tearing them down? And finally, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and Romans 12 through 14 reminds us to bless people and not curse people. And I think that's an obvious one, but if our heart is healed, if our heart is made new, we rather than like looking for curses or looking for faults of other people, we end up having an interest, interest and a curiosity of how can they be blessed? How can our words of affirmation bless others rather than tear them down? And in just in a, in a moment of transparency, like this list that you guys see, I, I absolutely do not think I do this right. I think one of the most interesting things as, as a pastor is you prep messages and, and do message prep and things like that. It, it's not just a like exhortation, encouragement to a congregation, but it's also like encouragement to our hearts as well, where it's a heart check for us. I know for me, like when I look at this list, when I hear Jesus' words that our mouth reflects our heart, I'm constantly like reminded that, man, I need a new heart as well. I know for me, just in the category of white lies, that's one that I fall into so much. Out of fear of people or, or fear of others, um, I have a tendency to be like, oh no, like I'm gonna make myself look better, even though truthfully, I'm just doing that because my heart is reflecting a heart of fear. I know I'm in this point of my life where the majority of sin is by what I say and what I don't say. And what I say is that category of white lies, but what I don't say is like, rather than speaking up for someone, I stay quiet in apathy. And I choose apathy rather than courage. And so for me, just in full transparency, this is something that I'm working on as well. I find myself in the same boat to ask Jesus to give me a new heart so that my speech can reflect his. And that takes an attention to the heart of Jesus so that I can have a healing in my heart as well. That's my prayer over just my life, but also over every single person in this congregation is that we can continue to dive in and have an attention to Jesus's heart so that in turn, we can have a healing of ours. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just the revelation that you've showed us in Matthew 12, um, the ability that you showed us that you are Lord uh, and that you are able to be... um, being able to like reflect your heart and your acts of mercy throughout 
um, Matthew 12. But I also pray that we specifically, we end up not having the same heart as the Pharisees, where we don't have selective attention to focus on uh, building ourselves up or being more pious or, or whatever. But instead, God, can we have a heart of curiosity towards you, a heart of interest to know more of your heart, and in, in light of that and in, in a like redemption of that, can you transfer and change our heart to look more like yours? Can you remove any unholiness out of our heart, any sin out of our heart, and ultimately make us uh, manifest your inner nature with our speech and all that we do? Father, we ask that because you love bringing yourself glory and you love making yourself known. And it's your name we pray. Amen.